So happy Tuesday and welcome to the hometown hour. Happy Halloween. A very dreary day out there, I would say, for the Halloween festivities. Very fitting for Halloween. Very, very fitting. Very Edgar Allan Poe. Well, with me today, I have two wonderful and very smart people who know all the IT things, and compared to me, that is everything. I have Chris Lee with the town of Mooresville and Matt Taylor with the town of Cornelius. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Well, for our longtime listeners, you know we like to start out the show by talking about one good thing that's happened within the past week. So I'll kick it off in true festive fashion. My one good thing is in relation to Halloween. And it's actually kind of a, a backwards one good thing because this is a mom fail. Um, so if you're not in the area, you, you will not know that right now we are experiencing very chilly, very dreary, very cold temperatures. And so I had a conversation with my nine-year-old yesterday about how, you know, if it's, if it's 30 degrees and raining at trick-or-treat time, we're going to have to take a pass. We're going to have to not go this year because mama doesn't want you to get pneumonia and have to take time off school and mama take time off work. And I soften this with, you know, I'll buy you whatever candy you want. Like, we can go to the store and load up. It's going to be great. But apparently this crushed her soul a little bit. Um, but dad stepped in and dried the tears and told her, regardless of the temperature and the, the rain situation, they were going to go trick-or-treating. So kudos to dad. Boo on mom. Yay, dads. <laughs> I know. Yay, dads. So, Chris, I know you've got some little ones. Are they ready for trick-or-treating? They are. They're all dressed up, ready to go. I've got one that's going to be a Squirtle from Pokemon, and the other is going to be the Chick-fil-A cow. Did you say a squirrel from Pokemon? Squirtle. Squirtle oh, okay. Pokemon, yes. Okay. Pokemon is still a thing. It's still happening. <laughs> very cool. Very cool and very excited. I, I can already tell. Oh, yeah. I'm actually Ash Ketchum oh, okay. as a part of that. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about that. Very cool. I hope that gets lots of candy. Matt? Uh, no kids here, but we are decorating a little bit. Our house is very festive for the holidays, and we have a very scary pumpkin that if you're unfortunate enough to get candy from our house, it's going to really get you. So do you have a lot of trick-or-treaters, or is it? Not normally. Our house is in the very end of the cul-de-sac, and we mm-hmm. do have a little bit more of a higher age uh, relative neighborhood. So we, we get a couple of their grandchildren that come around, but not a lot. See, we're in one of the newer neighborhoods that has a lot of the kids and everybody, so it, it is quite a lot of people that go around. And there's actually houses that have adult items as well. So oh, it's very, very nice. nice. Very I live nice in one of those neighborhoods as well. That's always a good time. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, you are here today to talk about IT, information technology or innovation in technology, however you want to think about it. So let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you get into that? How how does one become an IT professional? Uh, so for me, I was very, very early on, just always around technology and, and building computers. I think I built my first computer in middle school and was always helping my grandpa and others. And I would say my grandpa really first got me into it. Um, he had one of the just early, early computers that we kind of coded and built games on. So like that's the punch where, card ones? Or, um, I'm not quite that old, but yeah, I'm aware of <laughs> For of anyone who's not watching on Facebook, Chris Lee is not that old. It, it did have a, you know, a screen and a keyboard, and it looked like a computer, not necessarily a, a giant monstrosity. The that big would, floppy disk? It did Am have I closer? some of the bigger, okay, yeah, good. the five and a quarter. So 
Yeah, that's really what got me into it. So I'd say my, my grandpa was really my driving factor. Awesome. Pretty similar for me. My dad is the one who initially introduced me to that. He was always kind of into the smaller tech uh, world. And I mean, I was 90s kid. So, you know, I still remember the, the normal rotary phones for that. But Oregon uh, Trail. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> we all got dysteria. We all did. But uh, my big thing came actually in college. Uh, I dabbled with computers, but originally went for medical office administration and was bored out of my mind with it. Uh, It was fun for the most part. I say it's kind of contradictory, but uh, it really came with a friend of mine got into doing some programming. And once actually seeing that, it's like, all right, you know, I've already got a little bit of affinity for this. Let's just go hardcore into it. So that's what started the path. So how did you get to where you are today? Because, Matt, I don't know a whole lot of your history, but, Chris, I know you have kind of been all over the place, all over the state, um, working in different capacities. So what led to being the director of innovation technology for Town of Mooresville? Yeah, so um, just getting into schooling and and before that, job-wise, I worked at Circuit City. This is throwback. Circuit City, throwing it back. (laughs) Um, so that, you know, I worked in the computer department, eventually led the computer department at, mm-hmm. in both Hickory and Raleigh area. So that kind of started my tech career um, mm-hmm. from there, just kind of branched into what I was doing at school at NC State. So I graduated with electrical engineering and then kind of carried into the General Assembly for there. So I was with the General Assembly through different roles for about 14 years before I went to Cornelius, where Matt has taken over now for a few years. Are and, you sure you don't remember the punch cards? Uh, no, no, but I have been, it's been 18 years now in government. So it has, it's been a while. And prior to that, you know, five or so years at Circuit City. So it's been, you've had a, you've had a significant career thus it, far. It has been. So you said Matt is taking over for you at Town of Cornelius, because yep. I know you were there previously before you torn, joined Town of Mooresville. Matt, tell us a little bit about how you got in that role. <laughs> so it's, uh, honestly, it's been only my second job. Uh, originally, I worked at Subway. So uh, after graduating from college, I ended up getting a job through a uh, temp company at Cornelius, starting in for the previous dire- previous previous director, Larry Davis, who's now the director in Huntersville. Um, they hired me in there as a, a temp for about three years, transitioned further and further as I went into the role, uh, essentially learned pretty much everything about the environment. And then it was more of the natural step whenever Chris left for me to take over because, I mean, he had already been sharing a lot of the things he was doing with me at that point. Honestly, I think it was kind of his, his, his end goal anyway. So he's kind of, he knew what he was going to do. (laughs) Succession planning is what I like to call it. Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, IT can look very different from Circuit City to working with the General Assembly, to working with a local government, to any type of IT in the private sector. So let's talk a little bit about IT for government. Um, how, How does that look? What does IT impact? Yeah, so I think one of the funniest things in general is that what does IT mean? Well, at this point, at times I've been told that IT is pretty much anything that has electricity flowing through it. So well, that's fair. if your coffee maker breaks, that's IT. I have to fix it. So that's the kind of calls we would get at home, which just kind of bridge into what you do for government. So it's literally any department, any function of a town or city, IT is on the back end supporting every bit of that. Do you still get calls about um, broken coffee makers? Yes, yes, all the time. That's fascinating. <laughs> you you can get calls from ranging literally from, oh, my monitor's not working and it's just unplugged under their desk to having a multifaceted issue with your camera system going down and trying to figure out why it can't connect through and process its data. It'll go through 
tons of tons of different areas for that. So it's a huge spectrum that it can go to. Your day-to-day is pretty straightforward, but you'll have those times where you run into a massive issue that ends up happening, usually from a bug. Absolutely. Well, guys, I know that um, Mooresville and Cornelius are similar, but yet different sized towns and have different sized needs. And so in our next segment, I want to talk a little bit more about that and talk about how IT serves our residents and visitors. Sounds good. Stay tuned, everybody. the hometown hour and welcome for any listeners who are just joining us on this quite dreary and spooky Halloween day. Very Edgar Allan Poe of it. Um, With me today I have Chris Lee and Matt Taylor who are both IT professionals. Um, Chris with the town of Mooresville and Matt with the town of Cornelius. And previously we were talking about how these gentlemen got into the IT world and that was at very different paths. Very different, particularly maths. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but you guys both are um, pivotal in IT for local government and providing the resources and the information and the structure needed to keep all of our systems running, whether that is the coffee makers, as we discussed, or the computer systems, the software systems that allow our residents to register. So... What all does IT include? I just hit some of it, but what all does IT information technology, technology and innovation, whatever you want to call it, um, what does that include at the local government level? Yeah, so I think you've got to think of it as what are the base parts of a town and how does a town function? So we've got streets, we've got sewers, we've got water, you've got police, fire, sanitation, medic, you've got planning departments, you've got parks and rec, so you've got parks to deal with. So really all of those parts, libraries, um, computer centers even. I mean, there's just tons of different. uh, Cornelius has got the animal shelter, so that's another piece. Um, So then looking at all that, it's how do you make that function? Well, that's that's where we step in. How do we get data or details or information to each of those parts? How do we take information from citizens, bring it in, and how does that all interact and interplay? That seems like a really daunting task, and I know that must involve a lot of different softwares. It does. Uh, Mooresville especially has quite a few different pieces of software. Um, but overall, it's really just figuring out, okay, we, we have a need or we have a problem. So then we begin to look at what can solve that need, what can solve that problem, and that's where we then just incorporate and, and turn on or operate different pieces of software and technology to make that happen. And you can give a good example of that as uh, whenever COVID came around in 2020, one of the bigger tasks, and, you know, Cornelius is much smaller than Mooresville. We don't hand, handle uh, sewer and water. That's a big difference there. There's huge differences in that. But for us, uh, it was the challenge of trying to figure out how to get people to be able to work from home. Yeah. So you had a, a huge push all of a sudden going from, you know, everyone's in office. How do we get them in home. It's finding out what's the best solution that works for you. There's tons of different technologies for actually going out and doing that. Zoom, everyone's is mostly familiar with. You know, I had GoToMeeting, WebEx, a couple other ones. There's more of tasks of, you know, what was the best thing to fit our environment? And the thing that was requested of me was what can essentially do one-to-one for our meeting room. 
because mm -hmm. it, they were going to do virtual assembly sessions. So for us, a big part of that was annotation. At the time, Zoom was the only one who had actual virtual annotation for writing on the displays. So that ended up being the thing that we did. Then it was making sure we had the licensing amount for our VPNs that allows people to essentially remote into our internal network. That way, outside of their phones, that was the only thing that we were missing during that period to be able to essentially have them be able to completely work as if they were in the office. So that's that was a larger challenge that happens, you know, essentially on a whim. You don't expect a pandemic to pop up every day, but no, absolutely. we had all that set up within a week. Yeah, and if you think, you know, pre-pandemic, people don't really know how to do virtual meetings unless you were virtual already, you're doing business meetings. You think about it now, your grandma, your grandpa, pretty much everybody knows how to get on a Zoom Every, do a and virtual yet meeting. We still so. have issues with people unmuting yes. during meetings. Um well Definitely the pandemic changed the way that we, we think about things, but um, there are special things with local government that um, existed pre-pandemic that you have to consider. Um, I know we have the public records laws and yes. records retention, and that has to be a huge part of what you do, just knowing how much we get records requests in, within town of Mooresville keeping that information, being able to access that information and ensuring that the information that we have is secure. Yes. Yeah, that's really one of the main things. So you've got mandates from the federal level, then you've got mandates, you know, state statute, and then we've even got local policies and local procedures, how we handle documents and all that. So to your point, just keeping all that secured and locked and making sure that if something happens, we have the ability to either recover it or, or come up with it. So it's definitely a, a lot to look at. And there's a lot of things to think about around that. So talk to me about if something happens to it. What are the the threats that local government faces and how do we combat that? Yeah, I mean, it's, so the kind of the threat landscape has changed over the years. So at first it was big companies. It was Boeing. It was Lowe's. You know, big corporations were being taken down because they were, they were millions of dollars that could get gone. So now it's a little more just everybody could be affected. I mean, you at home. You know, people may lose thousands or tens of thousands, which to you means a whole lot of money. Sure. So really the threats across the landscape have changed. So small towns have to look at as if they were a big corporation because they could be hit at any point in time. So you've got to know where the attacks are coming from and you've got to have multiple systems in place, uh, you know, be it traditional firewalls and endpoint protections. But more so than that, now we've got to have layers on top of that watching those layers, internal and external. And backups of all the information. And backups and backups of the backups and replications of the backups of the backups. And then even off-site and off-network backups. So, On top of that is making sure that the people who are actually in the environment have proper training on what to look out for. One of the bigger, you know, it's, it's no secret that the users are the biggest security risk for any place that there is anything to do with information technology. So the more they can be educated to what they need to look out for, the better they know how to essentially recognize a threat and uh, inform IT that there's a problem. There's plenty of times where you'll see an, an email that might look like it comes from your boss. I think the one that most are familiar with is, oh, hey, can you run down to the store and get me 10 credit cards or, or gift cards to go to some other, like to Apple or Amazon. Mm -hmm. So it's it's being able to recognize, hey, that, that doesn't look right. And then who to contact, how to get to them in an, a normal manner, in a quick manner so they can, as IT professionals, we can respond to that, block the threats and essentially, you know, keep everybody safe. It's a big proponent of that is making sure that users know what to look for. Yeah, and we definitely live off that see something, say something type environment. So, 
you know, you're not bothering us if you come and ask us a question or send us an email to take a look at. Like, that's what we want. That's what we hope for is that everybody is extremely suspicious all the time. Which is why we try to trick everybody all the time. Oh, yes, you do. And so I report everything is phishing. Oh, yeah. If it comes in my email and I'm not expecting this, it is phishing, 100%. Yeah, and we keep track of everybody's scores to know who's doing good and who's doing bad and who needs some remedial training. Oh, we'll have to talk about that offline <laughs> if I need remedial training or not. Well, guys, this is... Um, it sounds like a really daunting task, and you must have great support, whether that is directly through a team or whether that is through your elected officials and leadership at the town. Um, I know that IT isn't just, kind of like we've talked about before, isn't just the computer monitor. It isn't just the software that you use to register for Parks and Rec. It can involve a lot of things like vehicles yes. and equipment. So talk to me a little bit about that, the, the non-traditional IT things. Yeah, so I mean, some of the biggest is uh, definitely in our realms is public safety aspects of it. So police cars, fire trucks. So, you know, it's not just you drive a truck now and it's got a hose on it, it's got water. They have to get the 911 calls. They have to operate the 911 calls, uh, dispatch. We've got, you know, GPS tracking location for all the vehicles. Um, each of the officers has computers and the fire trucks have iPads or, or computers as well. So every bit of that is technology in some form. Yeah, and I know with our officers in Mooresville, they operate mostly out of their cars. They yes. don't go into a traditional office. They don't have a traditional office space designated for each individual officer because they have everything they need in their cars, even a printer to print yeah. off reports if they need to. Yeah, and those you know those vehicles are critical for them. Um, it's how they write citations. It's how they get their tickets. It's how they do their calls. It's how they check the warrants. It's how they just operate in general. So without that... You know, you're back at pencil and paper, and I don't think anybody wants to go back to that world. Now, is there a reason that they leave the cars running a lot of times? Is that because, like, it's your your computer you don't want to restart? <laughs> uh, I would say the sheer amount of technology in the car, if they ran it, would t just take the battery down in about two seconds. So that's why uh, one of the main reasons that the vehicle runs pretty consistently. On top of that, it's also just to be able to respond at a moment's, moment's notice. You never know when someone's going to go blaring past you and you have to go after them. Another big piece of that is understanding that, especially with body cam technology that's come a long way, uh, it's as much as if an officer gets dispatched to a call, it'll automatically cut their camera on on top of that. And then the configuration piece of that usually falls on us as well. So making sure that all that is secure and that essentially officers are held accountable for what they are doing. So... Even the smallest pieces of that you won't really consider until you were able to look under the hood that any aspect that comes to that, we usually configure, not just troubleshoot. So it, it's quite a lot to keep up with. Yeah, and you think about a police officer, just them, for an example in general, they've got their laptop in the car, that laptop's connected to a printer. The car itself has vehicle cameras front and back uh, for the seating in the back if anybody's inside, or you know they've got LPR system, uh, systems attached. Um, then on their bodies, as Matt said, they've got the body cam. Uh, those could be attached to the front, could be attached to the head. They also have tasers, which are also pieces of technology because all those register, they, they update. So, you know, er, pretty much everything's got firmware and they have a, a timeline of existence. So, And that's just for your standard patrol officer. That's if you get into yeah. like specialized equipment, like a traffic unit, they also may have the... Um, Oh, LIDAR units for LIDAR reconstruction units, crashes, you. everything. Yep. Yep. Yeah, drone operations. Star chase. Yep, star um, chase. Specialized equipment for our canine units. Yep. And yeah. 
SRT, all those great things. So there's a lot of layers that goes into this. Yeah, I mean, even the, the canine units specifically have temperature and sensor monitors that, you know, the vehicle's running. If something happens to the vehicle and it cuts off, we, we get alerted, the officer gets alerted that there is an issue with the vehicle. The canine is still in the vehicle, so... And the occasional request to replace the battery in the the auto open door. Oh, yes. <laughs> Very important, remember, yes. the auto open yep. door, if you've never seen a canine <laughs> demonstration. Yep. Well, guys, um, in our next segment, let's talk a little bit more about how we're using IT to make our communities better um, for our residents, for the individuals that assist our community, and how we can what we can look towards in the future for it. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. Okay. Stay tuned, everybody. The Hometown Hour. I'm Megan Suber with Town of Mooresville, and I have with me today Chris Lee from Town of Mooresville and Matt Taylor from Town of Cornelius. Mm-hmm. And during the break, we had an IT question that I'm going to confess I don't even understand what is being asked here. So I'm going to toss this off to Chris. Yeah, so the question was, uh, what is a rogue access point and how might it differ from a bug or a virus? So, you know, for the town, we have our own access points, and those are ones that we own. They're on our network. And we put out this SSID, so it's what you connect to. If you go to Starbucks, you see Starbucks guest. So we put those out on our network. A rogue access point would be somebody impersonating those So maybe Starbucks with a Z guest. It would be the exact same name, but it would be coming from, let's say, a bad actor's access point. Okay. So people would go to Starbucks, spin up an access point, Name it everything the same as the Starbucks one, expecting that you would connect to their network, mm-hmm. which then puts you in their environment that they could do malicious things with. So that's an attempt to get you to connect, which they could then deploy bugs or viruses through that. So that would be the differentiator there. Got it. So what I'm hearing from this is don't connect to public Wi-Fi. Don't connect to public Wi-Fi, yes. That's a, if it's if it's secure and you got a password, you're a little better off because the likelihood of the bad actor would know the password also is is unlikely. But yes, op- wide open public networks a no no. Good to know. The <laughs> one one thing you've learned here today, ladies and gentlemen, don't connect to public Wi Fi. Definitely never. Well, in a previous segment, we were talking about um, IT for government. Um, and how all the different things that technology supports in our government, whether that is the laptops that you traditionally think of, whether that's the online meetings, um, whether that is the AV support for those meetings, whether that is the police vehicles and all the many, many things that um, come apart of that. But what are things that our communities are doing to leverage technology to make life better for our residents and visitors, to make things safer or to make things more fun even? Yeah, I'll let Matt start on that one because we had one that we kind of implemented together that was, I think, very helpful for the Cornelius community. So uh, while Chris is at the town, we implemented a, a GPS tracker for our leaf trucks uh, mm-hmm. whenever they're going around doing leaf connections, same with garbage collection as well. So you can go to our town website and see, oh, hey, is the are they on their way? Did they miss my spot? It lets you be able to very quickly see exactly where in the uh, the line your house is for knowing when your leaf collection is going to come by. So it's, it's really helpful around this season, too. 
Oh, absolutely. And I would imagine that's a little bit harder to mobilize with. Like if you forget to put your trash can out, you can usually quickly <laughs> run it out there. You're probably not going to quickly rake up all the leaves in your yard before the truck gets there <laughs> when it's down the road. Most likely not. Um, you know, so that kind of branches into what do we do to make the community better? So, again, it goes back to what are the issues that the community are having and, and what information do they need that we can help bring to them? So it's really identifying those and figuring out where technology could help. So, you know, tracking, mapping, um, you know, even even as simple as just planning maps these days. So we have interactive maps through GIS mm -hmm. on our website, the Morseville website. Mm -hmm. So if you have a question about something that you've submitted that's going through the planning department, you can mm -hmm. go on, look at the map, see kind of where it's at in the process. So we're working on updating and providing more information. Uh, water information is also on there as far as meters and everything else. So really getting the information to the citizens, I think, has been one of the kind of critical pieces to that. You know, and, and that is actually something I wanted to talk about, about streamlining processes. I know with Mooresville, we have recently created the one-stop shop for our planning department and building permitting inspections and fire marshal. So integrating that technology, which to my understanding, that was they were using multiple different technologies yes. previously. So integrating it all into one to make things more seamless. Yeah, so GIS is the back-end database of our information, and it's also the software that everything operates on. So everybody uses it a little different, but everybody comes back to the same bucket of information. And that is what it kind of helps streamline it. So it's not three different departments doing three different things. We, we now have one, you know, everybody is one shop. And, and operating out of one system. Yeah, and in our in our case, they are quite literally one shop because they it are. is all one big room. IT is also there. Stop by anytime. IT is also there. <laughs> well, we do have some some fun things, but they're also used for safety. I know in the town of Mooresville, and Matt, you'll have to fill us in if Cornelius has some as well. We have with our uh, fire and police department, we have a lot of drones. We do, yeah. Yeah, so each of our fire trucks is outfitted with a drone, and those drones are used in situations that, you know, roll up to a house fire, you can't necessarily see the backside or if it's covered mm -hmm. in wood. So we use that sometimes to get a better angle or better vision on what could be going on with the house prior to people actually going in, if need be. Um, it's also used during traffic incidents to kind of reconstruct or redetermine what might have occurred. Um, one of our biggest goals is going to be using drones as first responders. So our hope is that, uh, you know, a 911 call comes in or a call in general comes in, we can dispatch a drone within 30 seconds, be on site, you know, be it a suspect we need to determine or if sure. the house is on fire or not on fire. So we can alter our kind of alert and approach based on that. So it'll save a, a lot of time for our law enforcement and, and fire individuals who... Absolutely. And I know that Mooresville, it's not a huge community. It's not, you know, New York City. But at the same time, with the law enforcement presence that we have, with the traffic conditions that we have, once a call comes in, it could be, you know, five minutes or so before an officer could be there or uh, even a fire department um, representative, if that was who was called and dispatched to the call. In that five minutes, someone could bleed out. Yep. In five minutes, the situation could go even farther sideways. In five minutes, the suspect could be long gone oh, yeah. from the the situation. So I've heard about that being talked about previously um, by different entities, how having those drones and dispatching those drones provides just a, another level of support for their law enforcement personnel. And it's not necessarily, you know, infringing on anyone's privacy. It's 
aiding and using technology in a smart and innovative way yep. to give the most information possible to our law enforcement and public safety professionals so that they can better assist our community. Yeah, I mean, you just think about 150 in general. If if an officer or fire truck needs to get down that, it's going to take Highway 150. Highway 150. Everybody's aware of the traffic on Highway 150, oh, yes. I believe. So just think about the amount of time it takes for them to deploy and, and get to where they need to. So, you know, if you could just instantly flip on a camera that's automatically there on scene, seeing what's going on. I mean, that's kind of a game changer for operations. And I can imagine, too, that if you paired that with something like night vision or geothermal imaging with yep. those drones as well, it can be helpful in situations where... Um, we've had recently several pursuits at night where yes. the cars will black out, which means, of course, driving without lights on. And our officers will lose sight of the vehicles because, you know, if they're half a mile further down the road, it's hard to see what's going on in the dead of night. So having that technology could be helpful in those situations. Yeah, and uh, most of our newer drones do have IR and uh, thermal capabilities, and we have used them for, I mean, even people who get lost in the woods or or folks or people who run or people who run through the, the police. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's really something that helps showcase what this technology can do and what we've used it for actively for several years now. So, so how many drones does the town of Marshall have? Uh, technically, we own 28 drones. We have about 15 that are truly in operation, um, and those are kind of on a maintenance cycle in and out. So, and who gets to operate those? Do you have to have any special licensing or anything like that? Yeah, so the typical um, pathway for that is to get your FAA license. Uh, it's test 107. Once you have that, then you can operate a drone. There's there's kind of a, a starting period that you've got to get through, and you've got to log a certain number of hours, and, and then you can become officially licensed. Uh, we actually have an in-house, uh, he's a helicopter pilot, who does our training, our drone training in, in schools. So. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know that. Very cool. Well, one other thing while we're, because I feel like we're hitting our first responder technology really hard right now. One other thing that I know that the town of Mooresville utilizes is a ALPR system, which is automatic license plate reader system. And I know that can be controversial with some people, but we've seen um, great success with it because we have been able to recover stolen vehicles, um, make connections with cases that may um, be inside or outside of our jurisdiction with wanted persons or even missing persons. And that's really been critical for us due to our geographic position north of Charlotte and having people come into our territory um, to for nefarious reasons, whether that is simple vehicle theft, whether that is larceny, anything like that. It has helped us keep better tabs on that that we may not be able to otherwise just because of the sheer size of our town. Yeah, and I'll let Matt jump in a little bit on this one, but, you know, LPR in general, you know, the joke with Mooresville, and I think even in Cornelius, is that we see you coming and going. So we've got these cameras in place, and I think Mooresville, we're almost, I think we are over $2 million in recovered assets at this point. So, I mean, the, the sheer dollars in return to folks that have either had a vehicle stolen or had something going on just really makes a lot of difference in people's lives. And before you jump in, Matt, um, just for everyone's information, before we dive further into this, our um, ALPR system, that's not recording and keeping and spying on people's coming and goings. That is only recording for a certain amount of time. It's only lurking and alerting for certain vehicles that are in our system that we use, correct? It's not necessarily following Megan Suber down the road 
with what I'm doing because I don't have any alerts in our system, to my knowledge. Well, it is following Megan Suber. But outside of that, you know, typically, so we operate off the state database. So the NCIC has a record of both state and federal tags that have been flagged Mm -hmm. for warrants or one reason or another. So if those tags are seen as they come through the system, they would then alert our dispatch. So point of clarity. Thank you for clarifying that. It's, it is following people around and watching where they're going, but it's not really It's not saving that, that direct personal data. It's referencing things from the, the state databases that are, hold that information from the state and federal level. Awesome. Yeah. So more about the automatic license plate readers? Yeah. Um, yeah we can definitely keep going. Um, I mean, the main thing on that is just it, tracking. So sure. Or did you turn left? Did you turn right? What road were you on? So it kind of helps as you enter and then exit. Where did you go and where were you coming from? Okay, we'll hit more on this in our next segment. Stay tuned, everybody. Welcome back to the Hometown Hour. In our last segment, we were talking about how IT makes our community better. And we touched on drones. We also touched on the AOPRs, which are the automatic license plate readers. And we have confirmed that those are not spying on us, per se. Like, the information that is gathered in those systems, unless you have a car or a tag that is associated with any type of criminal activity in the state database or um, that was entered by either local or regional law enforcement agencies, we're not keeping that data. We're not interested in who's coming and going. We're interested in vehicles and tags associated with that database. Correct. It'll look at your tag query, the actual tag information to the state database. If nothing comes back, it's dumped. Yeah. Poof. It's gone. Yeah. But if something comes back... Then you're going to get the police on you. Then, yeah, then, then is when the system comes into play. So everyone breathe easy. If you haven't bought a hot mm-hmm. tag off of somebody or your vehicle hasn't been associated with some type of crime, it's okay. Big Brother is not concerned with what's going on. So um, I know that, Matt, you said that there are uh, AL, ALPR systems in town of Cornelius as yes. well. So how do you guys utilize that? So essentially we have them all around town and the system we have in place uses a little bit of generative AI in it to help reconstruct the images to make sure it gets a proper clear visual of the tag. Because with any of these cameras, you have fast movements. You have to make sure they're properly calibrated, make sure they can properly see the license plates and it's not going to give you a false positive. So the system we have has been utilizing generative AI. That's a hard word to say. Um, <laughs> to uh, essentially reconstruct the pixels to give a proper image to keep make sure it is exactly the tag that it's showing. And that way we can have a, lo- a lot more, I guess, consistency based on older systems that would have a lot of false positives or would get partial readings. Absolutely, because that's definitely what you don't want. You don't Correct. want technology to come in and you think be- or is being helpful and has the, the en- endeavor to be helpful, and then you are pulling people over that are exactly. have no association with whatever tag or vehicle you thought yeah, came it, in. Yeah, big difference between like an S and a 5. Like it don't yes. be the difference between grandma getting pulled over wondering what's going on and Joe Schmo who just robbed a liquor store getting away. Absolutely. So, Chris, I know that you're very interested in AI and how it can be used for good in local government. Yep. 
Yeah, so I mean, you know, that's a, kind of the perfect segment is, you know, we need things that are better, smarter, faster so that we have less false positives. And, you know, AI plays a big part into that and really just kind of defining what AI is because it's, it's not Terminator. They're not coming to Skynet has not arrived yet. It, yes. could, it could one day, but it is not. Today arrived. is not that day. Today is not that day. No. So AI just I mean, think of it just as a, a mass computer brain. So, mm-hmm. you know, our brains are basically what we're trying to turn AI into. Uh, it's just compiling and gathering just hordes of information. How do you how do you do that? So the computers have the ability to process and understand several layers of that at a time. And, and that, that's where you start getting to spit out the information that we need now that is more helpful so that we can, you know, arrive quicker, get that correct license plate. We know the color was red instead of blue. Uh, you know, LPR specifically, we have the ability to track packages, track weaponry. So you can actually pick out a gun or a rifle versus a broomstick. So, you know, having that in schools and in places will definitely be helpful for just a lot of the incidents that we have occurring right now. Absolutely. And I can see how this would be on the, the consumer level. It would be helpful to have more AI in um, customer service outputs as well. I know anything that can help me get through the automated systems of Amazon or whatever yeah. whatever uh, big box company I'm trying to address an issue with without getting stuck in the eternal loop of select option one, select option two. Yeah, and, in, you know, customer service is kind of where a lot of the AI was built from, you know, Walmart, uh, the malls. They, they wanted to know where you were, what store you went to, how long mm-hmm. you stayed at that store. So they could base advertisements around that. They could base the market material around that. And that kind of just spun into a lot of other avenues. So now instead of knowing where you are or what you're doing, we're tracking you to, to know if you have a gun or you have a weapon. Did you leave a bag sitting by a trash can for two hours? You know, that, that kind of stuff. So a lot of uh, good uses or positive uses within the community. And I, I know there is still a whole stigma around AI. People think Terminator is coming. There's a lot of, oh, Big Brother's watching me. And, you know, there is there is positives and negatives to it. But trying to focus on the positives and how can we utilize this to keep our community safer and to make our community better. And one avenue that people may have used uh, for a while now, because AI has, has been around for quite a while, it's just more recently it's become more of a, a buzzword. Chat GPT was one of the big ones that sure. really brought it to really the public eye. But even things like Shazam for being able to recognize a music track that you're listening to is essentially the same kind of concept of what these are doing. It's being fed in tons and tons of data points that it's able to go and essentially say, hey, this certain beat is part of this song. Mm-hmm. At the core of it, that's what a lot of this does. A lot of them are picture recognitions. Are the, the, for example, you know, looking at a weapon versus a broom. It's using uh, picture analytics. Essentially, it's seeing thousands, tens of thousands of images and saying, "Is this this? It kind of looks like this. All right, yeah, that's what it is." Versus it just being, you know, I can't tell because the picture's so blurry. Like it uses all that those data points to then extrapolate what it needs to show you. And that's been around for a while. It's just with the advances in processors, the advances in just computer technology in general has such drastically increased the ability of what we can do with it. So now, I mean, and again, this stuff's not perfect. It, it, there are some things that need to have some regulations be put in place because we don't want it to run wild because absolutely, you, you do run the risk of people abusing this. Any kind of new technology is very easily abused without proper regulation. But 
right now, luckily, everyone's seeing the positives more than the negatives of what could be. And using it in applications that we have here is a good example of proper ways of using this. Yeah. Do I want Chat GPT to help my kids do their homework? Yes. Do I want them to do I want it to do their homework? No. But it is a very helpful research tool. You know, I think it'll be kind of critical in in their ability. I mean, my daughter, she uses a MacBook, it's from the school. They're expected to use technology. So having those tools and stuff in place to kind of help them learn and grow, because I mean, it's going to be a technology world. We're not going back to the Stone Ages anytime soon. We are not going back to those magic <laughs> card computers that we, I referenced earlier. Not. Well, good deal, guys. Any parting thoughts on um, how technology is used in local government? Uh, public Wi-Fi bad. Don't click links. Don't open attachments. And as long as your your vehicle or tag is not associated with any type of crime, yep. you're good. You're good. And we'll be happy to help you in any way we can. Absolutely. Well, I know we have a lot of things coming up in the town of Mooresville, but um, um, most pressingly, we have our Veterans Week celebrations um, coming up next week, um, where we honor and remember America's veterans and Mooresville veterans as well. I know we have a lot of veterans that work for the town. So those kick off on Monday, November 6th with our flag processional and ceremony downtown. I don't think you were a part of that last year, Chris. I think that was before you joined the town, but that yep. is a, a very um, moving event that you can just come down to downtown Mooresville and see this great group of people um, walk downtown, order, um, honor and remember um, all the missing in action, prisoner of war and, and veterans. And then on Tuesday, November 7th, we have a military body art event. So that will be held at um, Richard's Coffee Shop. And you can learn more about um, veterans' tattoos that they received as a part of their time in service. Okay. Um, I know that last year they said that there was a gentleman that uh, stood up and shared where he received some of his tattoos, and it just had the audience like in tears. They were so moved to tears of the story behind where this tattoo originated. So great, a very unique event. And then next Thursday we have Be Someone's Hero Blood Drive. Um, we also have the Veterans Breakfast, which is hosted by Top of the Lake Rotary, and that event is meant to honor veterans and their family members. Um, November 9th, we have the Military Authors Book Signing and Presentation. And then Saturday, actual Veterans Day, we have the Glenwood Park Memorial Ceremony, the One Nation Under God Luncheon, and the Veterans Day Parade, which is in downtown Mooresville, and that is always a huge event. Um, so many people come out. Um, so many people are a part of that event. So will we will we see you guys there, hopefully, Veterans Day for the parade? That's the hope. And I know Cornelius also has several Veterans Day events and some streaming for that as well. So, Excellent. Well, lots to do around the community. Um, and rounding it off, we have the, the Camo Up 5K in downtown Mooresville on Saturday, November 18th. And then right hot on its heels is going to be the Mooresville Christmas Parade. Okay. And then the... Um, Lake Norman Christmas Parade mm -hmm. um, soon after that. So the season is upon us, gentlemen. Yeah, and don't forget the uh, Christmas show in Mooresville. Oh, the Working Fingers Craft Show? No, the, the light show. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. I heard tell that the light show is coming back. How is IT helping us with that this year? Well, IT is doing it, so that's how we're helping it. <laughs> so this will be a Christmas light show brought to you by IT. And where will that be located? That will be beside Town Hall and... Uh, in Mooresville, downtown, uh, um, similar to where it used to be. When's it going to start? Uh, I believe we're kind of gearing it with one of the events. I don't remember the exact date, but 
uh, sometime soon. So. so to be announced, yeah. I'm sure we'll announce it on um, the town website, mooresvillenc.gov, as well as town social media accounts. That's very exciting because that hasn't been around for a couple of years. It has not. And we had, we had a big, uh, you know, myself and the family loved coming to that and seeing that. So I was sad when it, and it ended. And I know we had a lot of other citizens and folks that were saddened by that as well. So Yeah. And, and we can't com- compete with McAddenville. That's kind we're, of on a different scale, but we're going to try. Not yet. We're, we may get there. The, the hope is eventually to have kind of a downtown walk. Oh, so. wow. Wow. And this is how IT is serving their community. That's exactly right. Keeping the police cars going, keeping the sanitation vehicles on the correct route, getting us Christmas lights. Yep. You get your trash taken and your water to your house. And awesome. protected all along the way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, I look forward to seeing everybody next week for another Hometown Hour. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a great Halloween. Happy Halloween. The new 1059 100.7 WSIC Statesville, Mooresville, North Charlotte.